You're listening to the Off Court Podcast on the Harbinger Media Network. It's very important that you support the Harbinger Media Network. Harbinger, Harbinger. And especially support the Mind Refinery, which is producing this show, and a Passage, where I've been published. It's the online journal of left Canadian thought and opinion. You can find that one at readpassage.com. And on the Harbinger Media Network, you can hear great shows like Khabib T. Please, of which Nashua was, was on awesome. this show. And 49th, yeah, she was great. And 49th Parahel, hosted by friend of the show and very funny guy, Rob Come Rousseau. On the show, Rob and me. We're building a community that's challenging right-wing corporate media dominance from coast to coast. Get access to exclusive shows and other supporter-only content at HarbingerMediaNetwork.com. Thanks. Hello, you're listening to the Off Court Podcast. This is the inaugural episode of our podcast, which covers the history, uh, esoteric stories, and political economy of sports. I'm Abdul, one of your co-hosts. And I am Eitan, one of your other co-hosts, one of two co-hosts. Yes, uh, a Muslim and a Jew talk about sports. <laughs> yes, we're the, cro- we're the chromio of uh, sports commentary. Yeah. Where the the DJ Khalid and Khalid, I don't know if Khalid is actually Jewish. Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but it's um, a good one. This is, yeah, this is our first episode. And, you know, with this episode, I'm going to open with a question for you. What do you think about when you think about dunks? Um, I mean, when I think about dunks, it's like, it's almost a, a new... Uh, way to emasculate somebody in public that's totally accepted, um, especially with the way it's gone uh, with the internet and YouTube and posting. It's it's a way to just really embarrass somebody in a totally legal way, take away their livelihood. Um, it's kind of the most savage moves that you can do in sports, which is kind of makes it one of the most awesome ones as well. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I'm looking at my notes and I regret not including Dude Perfect compilations into yeah, my fucking exactly. notes. Um, you know, tightly it's owning rehearsed. somebody. It's it's legally owning somebody on national television. Yeah, it's it's literally putting your balls in someone's face as you yeah, throw yeah. a ball over their head. Yeah, it's doing the crouch thing in a in a first person shooter, but in real life. Yeah, like I whenever I think about dunking, like I think about like the dunk of death. Carter, it's <laughs> which for those who don't know is during the olympic games i forget what year but vince carter did something called the dunk of death where he dunked over the i think he was seven foot two frederick weiss jesus christ and it was he like literally dunked over this guy's head balls in the face slammed the ball through the net and that is the only notable thing on Frederick Weiss's uh, Wikipedia page is that he got he got dunked on by Vince Carter and then played for the Knicks. Rick Weiss, who happened to be a draft pick of the Knicks. He was drafted by the Knicks. They told him not to come back. Really? Did not play in the NBA. Because of that. You heard it here first. Because of that. Because of that. It's like, what a miserable career. That, that speaks to the nature of dunking is that, I mean, you've seen this when people post a dunk. Usually they'll word it as in the opposing player's life has ended. Here is a video of DeMar DeRozan ending Anthony, uh, Anthony Tolliver's life. So usually it becomes almost like a death note on somebody's Wikipedia page. It's a, it's a terrible event that happened to you that they have to include in your history because it's notable. <laughs> 
<laughs> and like you know when you think about dunking like dunking is unique in as much as it's maybe one of the most political acts in a sport like it, it is both a statement uh and like an incredibly aggressive assertion of self like there's a couple of things that are like oh these are political moments right like you know, muhammad ali throwing his medals into the river or whatever or surya mm-hmm. banali doing like a backflip in the olympic games as like a fuck you to the judges uh in mm-hmm. figure skating but like dunking as an action is specifically unique because it's it's incredibly political. It's got like a really fucking interesting history. And a good place to start with this is in Kareem. I have two sort of quotes to sort of preface this, right? Um, there's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the shoulders of giants uh, has this quote where he says, you know, when basketball is played the way it's supposed to be played, it happens in the air, flying, floating, elevated above the floor, levitating. Um, and then he goes on to describe it as the way oppressed peoples of this earth imagine themselves in their dreams which is the most kareem abdul jabbar quote i think you yeah could and i can imagine there. i can imagine in his sexy gil scott heron sounding voice just right now as you read it it's uh yeah he's got a beautiful fucking voice and like i think something to mention about like both this podcast and and especially when talking about dunking is like yeah on one hand there's like the social politics of it and like the identitarian politics of assertion but there is like a very hard economic backbone to dunking which i'm very excited to get into because like i i personally hate the term black bodies um (laughs) i think it's like weirdly condescending it's a weird it's also a weird thing to be the opposite of a fan of using the term black body i personally prefer to distinguish bodies by their uh skin color yes I, I prefer to, like, erase human beings in favor of just talking about yeah. their fucking physicality. <laughs> um, the black bodies that walked on the Selma Bridge, I fuck their names. <laughs> as, much as, we're jo- as much as we're joking, I mean, you're the one who uh, is conducting the research for this specific episode. We're going to be getting into that as a context for the banning of the dunk eventually, I assume, right? Oh, 100%. But I think it's important to recognize there is like an economic push and pull with dunking uh, that relates to like historic racism and white supremacy that is like, you know, there's a way to take a a class-involved analysis of like racial politics, especially when it comes to sports, because sports is like maybe the biggest, uh, you know, openly capitalist enterprise on the planet. Yes. But yeah, like sociologist Michael Eric Dyson describes the dunk as edifying deception, the ability to flout widely understood boundaries through mesmerization, a subversion of common perceptions of the culture or culturally or physically impossible through the creative and deceptive manipulation of appearance. Basically, like, you know, for people like me who are dumb and had to read this like 10 times, uh, he's basically saying doing superhuman things. Right. So let's get into the history of the dunk pretty much uh existed as soon as there was a seven foot person in basketball (laughs) like as soon as someone was tall enough to get the ball through the hoop it pretty much existed right as soon as they stopped only allowing like the postman and the milkman be basketball players they allowed uh people who are built for the way the courts were designed to participate i assume i assume that's what happened or college kids who would do like hate crimes in their spare time in the 1920s right, right, right. like well, well they had to do it for their initiation for their uh for their frats back then you know you can't blame them personally yeah exactly do you know that basketball used to be played in a cage i did not actually i really did not <laughs> so basketball early on professional basketball would be 
the the court was hemmed in by a cage and they were called cagers that was like the term for basketball players wait you're telling me basketball was cooler at one point back in the day oh a hundred percent you're about to see you're about to hear why but like yeah and and before the out of bounds play was because so you know when the ball goes out of bounds the person who last touched the ball loses possession of the ball and the other team gets the ball and bring throws it in but back then it was whatever team could get to the ball first could throw it in so it was not only was it played in a cage but there were fights over the ball whenever it went out of bounds like it was considered a martial sport more than a skill sport at one point right they used to play rollerball back in the day <laughs> yeah. what you're telling me so the very first dunk, if you can call it a dunk, and there's controversy about this, is um, uh, Jack Inglis in one of the New York and, you know, Midwest, uh, Midwest to East Coast, you know, professional leagues executed the first slam dunk by jumping up on the cage, holding himself on the cage like Spider-Man, and then throwing the ball through the net. So he didn't actually, like, hang on to the net. He climbed up the side of the cage <laughs> like a rat. And <laughs> threw it through the hoop, which is considered like maybe one of maybe the first dunk in history. I also thank you for saying Spider-Man because I imagined it like the scene from the first <laughs> Sam Raimi Spider-Man where he's being chased by that goon, which now I assume that this Jack Inglis man was extremely small <laughs> and being chased by like, you know, like classic 1910s dumbbell body lifters. Not what happened, but. Yeah, you just you're explaining to me a very cool part of uh, basketball history He's that we like don't whipping through the court on his <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I'm assuming jumping from cage from cage side to cage side, scaling the top of it. But anyways, yeah, I I, in my head, I imagine it's like the octagon in MMA where it has like a caged <laughs> yeah. roof. Is I don't know if it has a caged roof, but like um where it, it it has like a caged roof and there's like dudes just like you know hanging from the top <laughs> well they know? definitely they definitely do it in wwe right because when the cage match starts it comes down from the ceiling now oh, yes. we can only assume that they didn't have the kind of technology back in the day but pretty fucking imaginative of them to to do that but yeah like the real first dunk was a guy named joe fortenberry and the earliest mention of it is january 12th 1935 in a kansas versus chico state game where yeah he a writer said that he had the awe-inspiring ability to pitch the ball downward into the hoop uh much like a cafeteria customer dunking a roll in coffee and thus the term dunk was born wow extremely inauspicious start to like an uh action like the dunk but also very americana very like back in the day sort of sentiment oh absolutely and like people hated it at first especially like college coaches and like guys who came out of the the joe naismith who invented basketball like his coaching tree like his disciples or whatever they wanted to raise the hoops to 12 feet <laughs> But fans found it exciting, which is why they didn't. So basketball then sort of starts emerging as like a sport. Um, it starts being a bit of a moneymaker. Obviously, college ball starts getting huge. And black people start existing uh, in American life. Um, not just, you know, on the periphery of oppression, but like, you know, start becoming athletes. And, you know, America starts realizing it can assert itself economically and imperially through uh black bodies you know <laughs> fucking great term God. so yeah like um 
basketball, like dunking really became a big controversy around the time Wilt Chamberlain came on the scene. There was a rising young star on the basketball horizon a few years ago in Philadelphia. He was Wilt Chamberlain, nearly seven feet tall even then, who was the most remarkable high school hoop player ever to come on the scene. With his extraordinary height, he was head and shoulders over his rivals, you might say. During his high school days, there was no one in his class defensively, and when driving for a basket, Wilt was almost unstoppable. In an article titled, uh, Can Basketball Survive Wilt Chamberlain? Um, which I feel like every 10 years you get this article about whatever star is currently in the game. Like, can basketball survive LeBron James? Can basketball survive, you know, person X or person Y? Um, in 1956, uh, author Jimmy Breslin described a play that made Nebraska coach Jerry Bush feel sick because he went up for a jump shot, but he didn't come down. He just went from the foul line and then dunked the ball in the net while rotating his arm. Could you imagine feeling sick about this shit? Well, I'm assuming he felt sick the same way he feels sick about segregation and other <laughs> uh, and, and other weird microaggressions that I'm sure this guy, what's his name again? Jerry Bush in Axe yes. uh, in the 1950s, whenever he felt like it. It's so interesting that the people, um, I guess it was a generation of coaches that felt like the, the sport would would leave them with a sort of new move and with a slew of new looking players in their rosters that they didn't understand. Like, it's really interesting to me how obvious it was that they were threatened by the by by the positive developments in basketball back in the day. Yeah, like all of these things were things that made, you know, a lot of fans super excited. And to be fair, there were like coaches who did a lot to like advance the the role of black people in the game. But like, you know, I'm pretty sure Nebraska coach Jerry Bush was not one of them. Jerry Bush, the, the Nebraska coach Jerry Bush has no interest in being in like the, the cuckold subject, the cucked subject in the cuckold porn that was basically <laughs> happening in real life in his in his job while the audience member, I mean, watching that stuff is universally lauded, like lauded, right? Everybody enjoys watching that shit. Yeah. So Will Chamberlain basically um, upended this idea of like basketball and dunking and like basketball, you know, you watch a game now and, and I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this aren't sports guys, but like the game is is very not dunk heavy these days. Like dunking is a is a punctuation mark, right? More than it is a, a regular play basketball right now is a shooter's game it's very much like three-point shots and long-range shots and like dumping the ball in the net from far away which is cool it's very talented yeah like you don't see as many dunks now as you did back then where it would have become like one of the standard shots because everyone played from the inside there wasn't a three-point line yet and so dunking started like emerging as uh you know a lightning rod issue in the same era of like bill russell one of the greatest basketball players of all time joining like the civil rights movement and just the civil rights movement in general. And of course, Bill Russell played in Boston. Um, so you can imagine what fans thought of him. They definitely did not like hurl him with racist abuse at every opportunity. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. And they don't, they don't do that still. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't blame the declining attendance on the fact that <laughs> there was no shot clock and games were like, you know, scored as like 40, 30 or something like that. No, it was because it was because a black man dunked. So, you know, this sort of became, I think, shorthand for the idea of, like, black people dominating white people in a sport um, that, you know, up until this point, weirdly had been considered a very gentlemanly game, even though they played it in a cage and there were fights regularly. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, 
like people i saw a lot of stuff in my research of people talking about the 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 gentlemanly spirit of basketball you know like like they're still playing in peach baskets in the uh in the gym then a dude named lou alcinder i'm gonna dead name him for a second showed up in basketball in the 60s and this was pretty much like the the big turning point for dunking because lou alcinder is very tall the ball all done the style of going up in the air and slam dunking the ball down. And the final attempt of Kareem, that sky hook slam dunk, but he gets all five. And has, um, I think, an 89-inch wingspan. <laughs> and basically was the most brutal dunker in the history of the game up until that point. The NCAA, the college, uh, the association that like runs and manages and enforces the rules of college sports, announced it was banning the slam dunk from all competitions in 1967-1968 because they said that there were too many injuries from dunking. There were not, actually. There, I, I looked into it. There were 1,500 injuries in basketball that year, and I'm a hundred percent sure most of them did not come from dunking and mostly came from, I don't know, fights, rolling your ankle, like just typical basketball injuries. Yeah. Just like the lack of health science, um, you know, the, the use of Converse shoes or whatever kind of shoes they were using back then, even that were completely not meant for the game. Yeah. Just any other reason other than, I mean, a lot of people were hearts were injured again. Like this is, as we explained earlier, it's a very emotional, punctuative uh, move to do it in uh, and almost like a public shaming move you could do nowadays. Back then, before therapy was uh, as normalized <laughs> as it is now, you can't imagine what these players were going through if they were to be dunked on. Something that they didn't even know how to describe with words back then, right? Could you imagine like going through World War II or the Korean yeah. War <laughs> and then like having flashbacks when someone dunks on you because you went from that to playing basketball? Oh, like just seeing uh, your chopper go down yeah, over Pyongyang. Mr. There were Smiths and other various fifties uh, named uh, white guys just having PTSD on the court <laughs> <laughs> because, because some guy jumped over them and dunked on them. Lou Alcindor uh, would like run 21 rebounds, score 56 points a game. And even his own coach, his own coach speaking to like the anxiety that Alcindor inspired and other coaches said, he even frightens me. Yeah, like, he also wants to slow. Can you just please humble yourself? Please slow it down. You're making me. You're making me anxious. And I, I love this because, like, after he won his UCLA a fucking championship, the NCAA just banned the dunk shot. They're like, yeah, you can't do this anymore. And yeah, it was unofficially called the Lou Alcindor rule. And his own coach said there was no question that the rule is designed to curtail the ability of specifically one player. But like what they failed to consider was that when you have the freak athletics of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he can just raise his hand over the net and throw the ball in without dunking, which is how right. how his he has a he developed a shot called the sky hook where he literally just raises his hand above the net because he can reach that high. And just sort of dips it in. Like, it's a very dainty looking shot for how effective it is. They wanted it to be gentlemanly again. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. And and Bill Russell once described Lou Alcindor as the prettiest thing in sports, which I think is <laughs> extremely cute. Yeah. Um, like, and, it was a and, different and time. True. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. It was a different time where, like, a man could say that. You know, I I know we can do that now, but there was a period between then and now where that word calling something pretty <laughs> just, you know you would get hate crimes by your own like um teammates or whatever <laughs> yes 
or or your fans, especially in Kareem's case. Oh, a hundred percent. So in 1967, the American Basketball Association started. This was designed to, this was designed to be like a competitor to the NBA, which was flagging. And unofficially, the NBA still had quotas restricting the amount of black players who could play. Um, specifically to not offend, uh, you know, the people, the good people of South Boston, um, and uh, and you know the people who made the money in that league and stuff like that. Whereas the ABA was v- like very quickly became like the black league, um, where it had in arena entertainment. Like they had Bears, Playboy bunnies at halftime. Uh, they had the three time shot. Apparently, there was cow milking contests at halftime. Which <laughs> could you imagine a cow mil- milking contest halfway through a Raptors game right now? Especially with, like, our diverse audience. <laughs> Not just, like, 20,000 white people, basically. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, they, they basically became a Showtime League, right? Like, not the Harlem Globetrotters. Like, not right. not just entertainment, but it was, like, very entertainment first, whereas the NBA Almost borderlining a, a circus. Yeah, pretty much. And it was like all about trick shots, jump shots, basically doing whatever the fuck you wanted. And it was very, still like very competitive, but like, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you had the NBA, which was like, you know, the NBA was the like stuffy league, right? And then on the other end, you had the ABA, which was the complete opposite of that and was like, yeah, we'll just try whatever the fuck we want. Let's like, we'll have young coaches, we'll play faster, we'll like, you know, have three point shots, you know, we don't care about who the players are playing on our teams and they took a lot from the rucker league which you know we'll get into in the second half of the episode but the rucker league was like an emerging very loose coalition of like black players in harlem who played in like rucker park basketball the rucker park basketball court which is maybe the most legendary basketball court in the world um and it's like where street ball players and a lot of nba players got their start was playing in rucker park and uh, then we had Julius Irving, who showed up, and Dr. J. It's 89-84, Sixers, and they get inside. Unbelievable, Julius Irving. Hey, Jones with the ball, finds Julius Irving, drives to the basket, goes up, and... Oh, an unbelievable shot! Listen to the fan! Watch this fantastic move by the doctor. Julius in the air, palm it over the right hand. Should we ask him to do it again? We've never seen anything like that before. It was crazy. Was like the flashiest basketball player on the planet, right? He basically made his name in dunking and like yeah, he just ripped he just ripped shit apart. He was amazing. And the like ABA would have exhibition matches with the NBA and would always beat the NBA, which is also really funny. And Basically, through Dr. J, and thanks to Reagan-era austerity, basketball basically became the sport for low-income neighborhoods ravaged by austerity because it was the easiest court to set up for a city to be like, look, we're contributing to project housing, right? Like, just throw up a slab of concrete and two nets with chains and, like, you know, we're helping we're helping the community or whatever. But yeah, like, that's basically how streetball got started, where... Um, through stuff like Rucker Park, through the emergence of like basketball being like the default sport to like throw into a project housing and like low income neighborhoods, and like 
people watching the ABA and seeing, you know, black people dunk on white people regularly, it became like, oh, yeah, streetball. This is a lot of fun. We can do this. And it's all we got. Right. It's also it's also a perfect location for Reagan to send the CIA to sell crack. Right. Oh, 100 percent. Reagan, 100 percent. And the CIA did introduce black crack into black communities. But yeah, like uh, the NBA's ratings were flagging. They saw that people would still go to ABA games. Uh, and the ABA wasn't a big moneymaker anyway, for like obvious reasons. But they saw like how exciting the ABA was and basically realized that they needed Dr. J in the league, right? And that was one of the big reasons was like dunking was one of the reasons the ABA and NBA merged. And like, you know, through that, that's how you get the slam dunk contest because the ABA in its last all-star game had didn't actually have a game they just had the slam dunk contest right in denver that's where dr j basically decided he was going to murder um every white person because yeah he went he went dunked from an angle he dunked straight on he took like two balls at the same time which is and that sends everyone really julius irving one of the most insane things i've ever heard and that was like the last time that you know, the ABA had an all-star game. They merged with the NBA after, and that was, like, the big reason was dunking. And that also, like, legitimized and allowed more black people to come into the sport, right? The NBA wanted Dr. J for ratings, and uh, they got him for ratings. Yeah, and so in 1976-77, around the same time the NBA merged with the ABA, David Thompson, who... And the shortest man entered at six foot four, but as Dr. J observed, he plays like he's seven feet. In his rookie season, amazing fans around the league with his explosive jumping ability, the Denver Nuggets, David Thompson. Is potentially the other greatest dunker of all time behind Vince Carter and Dr. J. He could not dunk in college, <laughs> but he ended his college career with a dunk. Like, just as, like, a little fuck you. And then... That's so sick. Yeah, like... He, it, he, <laughs> in all of his dunks and all of his actions, he did more than the Black Panthers did back then, when you really think <laughs> about it. He definitely no did disrespect. more than the Weather Underground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's not even arguable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead of blowing up a post office, he blew up the backboard. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, it's it absolutely fucking rules. Because, like, for four years, you're telling this dude that you're not allowed to dunk, who ends up being maybe the best dunker in history, and he just ends his career with a dunk, gets immediately ejected from the game. And then the NCAA is like, oh, no, he set an example for every other black person, so I guess we have to unban dunking now. <laughs> or it becomes endemic of, like, people, um, you know, going out of their way to break the rules in the game. He also got standing ovation for that, by the way. Um, and even in the video, uh, when you watch it, there's it looks like there's more black people in the crowd than white people, which is like very surprising for a um, for a college. I mean, maybe not for North Carolina, but college sports is usually um, you know pretty pretty porcelain if you catch my drift. And there's just one limp dick white coach there, just just fuming, <laughs> surrounded by twenty seven people, twenty thousand people who are all hard, like just dick hard for what just happened. <laughs> It's hilarious. Oh, 100%. And the refs, too. The refs definitely get off on, like, ejecting <laughs> people from games in this era. Um, And so, yeah, like, the 
Julius Irving thing came like he developed his dunk from Rucker Park and playground basketball. Like that's where he learned how to dunk. And he, he specifically cites a dude named, and I love this cause it's such a, of its time nickname jumping Jackie Jackson, a New York city <laughs> playground legend. Tri- triple J. Yeah. Tri- that's awesome. The, <laughs> and so, yeah, the dunk, the dunk contest got on TV, um, basketball sort of like finally legitimized the dunk and that's essentially how the dunk got started um, and how it ended up roughly where it is now there's still a couple of there's still a couple of things that came out of this that are like legacy things like um basically in basketball there's two kinds of there's three kinds of fouls personal fouls shooting fouls and technical fouls personal and shooting are just breaking the rules of the game in a very regular way you know uh, blocking someone while they're shooting uh, the wrong way or like you know reaching in grabbing the ball from them when you're not supposed to technical fouls are given for unsportsmanlike conduct and if you get two of them you're ejected from the game immediately and they're like penalized a lot harder than regular fouls uh there is a technical foul for hanging on the rim too long uh in modern day nba basketball which i think is really funny because it's just like a way to be like you can't celebrate and i've seen a couple of articles and research for this that were the NBA and college sports have an excessive celebration problem, <laughs> um, which like imagine being this like this mad at people being happy. Yeah, it's like Mike Pence calling on his uh, frat mates for having parties. Like it's it's the same kind of uh, energy. I mean, uh, just to date ourselves, we are recording a few days after the NBA finals, and uh, LeBron got a technical for slapping the backboard when he dunked. Uh, which uh, I I didn't know was also illegal to hanging. I almost get, by the way, uh, the the I feel like the hanging could have maybe have some nuance because uh, some of the bigger dudes who do that use it as a excuse to shove their balls in people's faces. But that's uh, which cool I though. Do th- I, I, okay, <laughs> maybe maybe we differ on there. But but yeah, it's it's funny how anti fun these organizations have been and sort of can continue to be in weird ways. If they're not anti fun now, the NCAA is just about ruining a bunch of people's lives unless they make to it make it to the NBA. Oh yeah, the NCAA has has destroyed so many careers and lives over bullshit while making like billions of dollars a year. So, you know, that's that's pretty much the start of modern dunking, but there's a little bit more to that story um, where, you know, the South Bronx, which was the emergence of the sort of street basketball and like where, it, you know, street basketball became legitimate and like where showboat basketball was really like became its own sort of entity um, was also a testing ground for Reagan's America. Right. <laughs> like, um, so he went to Mississippi. He announced uh, where three civil rights workers were murdered in 64 and yelled, the South will rise again. The rec leagues, youth teams, and even like, you know, outdoor basketball projects that were started before uh, pretty much started collapsing. So uh, even the way that, you know, the NBA used a pipeline for like, quote unquote, legitimate basketball players into the sport that disappeared. You ended up just getting street ball on its own and nothing else, which also like led to like a lot of tension in basketball because they're like, man, why can't these basketball players play like white people? And it's like, oh, we destroyed all the avenues for them to play like white people, right? But it was still obviously like a reason to um, like delegitimize black people in the sport. And uh, and also like the suffocation of baseball and baseball is like a way that, you know, a game that black people played through the destruction of leagues 
did lead to more black people going to playground basketball, right? It wouldn't also be complete without talking about women's sports. Um, Because when you talk about basketball, there is like women's basketball in there. Yeah. uh, Always a footnote. Yeah. Yeah. As a footnote, usually, uh, which is what we're doing here. So, you know, you can send your cancellations to Evan McDonald at the podcast (laughs) Kino Lefter. Uh, 88 years after the first dunk, after basketball was invented, West Virginia center Georgian Wells. What a great name. G-E-O-R-G-E-A-N-N. Georgian Wells made the first dunk in women's <laughs> basketball against the University of Charleston. Um, so she basically made it so that people could not say women couldn't dunk, which was a, a thing that people were saying. And still say to this date, I see a lot of... Uh... Twitter accounts with uh, black avatars that are uh, definitely run by white people or using the N-word on their <laughs> accounts talking about how they don't dunk in the WNBA. And that's why it's a failing uh, sport. It's not because I have to, like, you know, do a fucking demonic ritual to find out where I can watch the games. It's not because, like, there's literally no way for me to watch a game, uh, especially in Canada. Yeah, and then, like, there were a couple other players, like Candace Parker, Brittany Griner, who who were dunking with regularity. Like, they took it from, like, a novelty to something that just happened in women's sports. And, you know, this goes hand, this goes separately from the 90s, which was, like, you know, a very neoliberal era of uh, everything, including basketball, where, you know, sort of the pre-internet counterculture made streetball leagues its own thing as well, right? So in the Rucker Leagues, uh, there was there's a shoe company called and one which released something called the and one mixtapes which were just compilations of people dunking um that you would get when you bought a pair of and one shoes and these things were fucking hot commodities people would line up for hours to get them and that's how you got guys like uh you know even to this day like a dude named the professor who's a white dude who just makes his living dunking he's not a basketball player he's a professional dunker and dunking sort of became vogue. It it became this more than exceptional thing. And like, as a parallel to like, uh, you know, the economic capitalization of like blackness into the mainstream. So like the NBA sort of embraced finally after a long time, sort of embraced blackness. And like, you know, it, the quote I have here is it uses hip hop the way Tony Montana treats a mountain of blow. <laughs> it's a commodity the gateway to riches and relevance. It's something you stick your snout into and abuse with delicious pleasure. It's also something that makes you eight steps beyond paranoid, where it's like, we're making so much money off black people, but we can't be too black. And then, you know, even beyond that and beyond like professional dunking, you have the modern dunk. So you have Vince Carter, you know, doing the dunk of death we have at the beginning. You have Shaq breaking the backboard. Now, I've never seen that. he broke now i think it's a it's a foul if you break the backboard there's some sort of penalty for breaking the backboard uh that one i sort of get because backboards are expensive and time consuming to replace but it's so mean because Shaq and i assume even like yao ming wouldn't be able to like those those sizes of people can't help it at the end of the day it's almost ableist of the <laughs> nba but it is no it absolutely is um they're trying to keep they're trying to keep him down uh you know it's ableist against giganticism yeah. <laughs> against elephantitis <laughs> um and so you know the quote i have here is in short the nba has succeeded now because it has become the world's premier athletic show 
Playground ball has triumphed completely. It's hard to imagine now that college basketball thought it was a good idea to ban the dunk or that former UCLA coach John Wedden, uh, John Wooden still thinks it's a good idea to ban the dunk. Um, the idea of like fundamentals as like the only thing there is to basketball now makes people sound like hopeless cranks, um, <laughs> which he's not the only coach though. <laughs> um, and yeah, like, you know, there's still lots of shit with people being like dunking is bad. Even the bleacher report article I read saying that basketball is an excessive celebration problem or the hanging on the rim technical. But yeah, that's that's the history of the dunk. We can go to ad break now and break into part two, which is the politics of the dunk, which, uh, oh man, uh, you're about to go on a fucking journey. Are you into video games or ever wondered why something like video games is even important to be discussed, to be listened to? If so, check out Buffs and Nerfs, another podcast from the Mind Refinery. Hosts Andrew and Sam will talk about the latest from the gaming world and dive deep into the culture of games. From the game mechanics of Destiny 2, which... God, stop Bungie making me spend money and play your fucking video game. I got to do research for this podcast. Uh, to the future of cloud gaming, they explore the relevance of gaming through personal experience and an impact on society. That was a great episode, too. I highly recommend listening to this podcast. So there's a couple of angles on dunking, um, and I'm going to go from most uh, liberal to least liberal. So from worse, from worse to 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 at least so le- a little less worse, but still bad. Yeah, pretty much. Like the the first one I have here is like dunking is a form of expression and and like an assertion of blackness, which is like extremely fair. But you know, it it does sort of roll out the class and economic politics that create this, right? Like Chris Paul, uh, you know, who's a nine-time All Star, I think ten uh, at this point, said that like he found out. He like he had the confidence to really play basketball after he dunked for the first time, which is a sort of confidence you and I may never have. And and I assume, I think Chris Paul is only a few inches taller than me, so it is completely based on athleticism. There, it's the athleticism that I'll never have because if I were to put my mind to it and maybe not have uh, inbred Jewish genes, I would maybe be able to dream that there but were no. there were jewish basketball players like the thing is you have to be like you have you can't just be mildly inbred you have to be super inbred so that you have like the maxed out <laughs> right. physical characteristics which is why slovenians and other like <laughs> uh your european players can be great because not only are they extremely inbred but they're being uh they're being mainline goat milk and and ham all day <laughs> yeah just <sighs> calcium you know what i mean that's all you need <laughs> And yeah, the the dunk is sort of another way of building community, right? Like using the dunk as an archetype for like shared celebration. Like, you know, when someone dunks, the entire crowd goes like they the crowd goes ape in a way that like it doesn't when you get like a nasty three pointer or a step back, right? Like it's specifically like ankle breakers, which is where you you dribble the ball in such a way that the opponent falls over um, for those who don't know uh, or dunks that are like your main ways of like everyone in the crowd going like oh shit you know what i mean especially and especially if the dunk is heavily contested contestation in this case again for those who don't know is when you have like people trying to block your shot or like people in your space and you just jump over them and you know shove your balls in their face and like banning the dunk was a a big way to like curtail the power of black people in the game right like they it was a crowd pleaser people loved it 
and the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar quote is, there was no good reason to give uh, to give up the dunk, except that this, myself, and other N-words were running away from the sport. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, not one to miss words. It was with a hard R, too, by the way. <laughs> and, like, you know, one of the books I read described that, like, celebratory practices of street basketball are ways that people are give each other hope um, in, like, over-policed, economically disenfranchised black communities, right? Like, it's a way that you share heart, joy, and, like, recognition with other people. Um, it's a way that, like, you just find a moment of happiness and, like, complete economic despair. Right. It's a, it's astral planing uh, out, of, uh, out of social injustice. It's, it's ascension in a very, very direct way, actually. Yeah. I, re- I, I thought we were you were maybe going to somehow pull out some very neoliberal uh, takes about dunking. So I apologize for earlier for uh, creating that scale I from had worse to, to, to worse. I had to really dive through this to find stuff that wasn't neoliberal because there was a lot of it that was just built in like again that discourse of like quote-unquote black bodies rather than like anything material you know what i mean i think right. that like capitalism is racist and there is like a material analysis to racism that maybe doesn't necessarily have class involved but like there is like an economic function and a sociological function to living under like the worst parts of like capitalist discourse right and like there's a great there's a great like section here that i'm gonna read where someone's describing i think this person did their phd um in street basketball like it it reads like a dissertation but yeah he talks about like the crowd going oh shit when someone dunked on someone's head and he says it felt like the air had been sucked out of the place my friend who had been facing the court spilled his beer he screamed in with the entire crowd people were holding their mouths saying oh my god and the noise reached such a crescendo that suddenly i felt like i was in a different world the young man who performed the dunk was staring right at us as he began running back down the court on defense. Yo, my friend screamed in his direction. I see you, my N-word. The dunker responded, I told you, my N-word. I told you, exclamation mark. In that moment of recognition, an individual dunk had become a shared experience. Within that euphoria, I felt connected to everyone at the park, including my drunken friend who could not keep his beer from spilling. Rip to that cold one, but like, you know, that sort of describes the experience in a nutshell, right? Like, you also have to consider, if you look up a photo of Rucker Park, it it looks like it's in the most miserable part of America, right? Like, it's a little more well-kept than a lot of parks in Harlem because it does have that history and stuff like that. But like, it's still, you know, in what was historically one of the most, like, devastated neighborhoods by, like, Reagan and stuff like that. So, you know, you have to, like, sort of consider what these places become semiotically and like symbolically over what they actually are, especially where they're located. Like Shaq described his love of dunking as coming from when he went to play a team in Texas, uh, I think when he was in high school or college. Um, and they like strung up uh, effigies of him with like things saying like beat the monkey. And he just decided he was just going to dunk on them <laughs> and like absolutely fucking destroyed them in that game he in fact in that game he had dunked so much and so hard that the rim was bent 45 degrees down 
Yeah, I guess it's important to note that I'm assuming Shaq was in high school, what, late 80s, early 90s, and these effigies were being made. Yes. So some of the sentiment that you were discussing, uh, that the, the political and racial aspect that was anti-dunking has somehow permeated, uh, th like, permeated up until the 70s, sort of dissipated, and then I guess Reagan-era economy just brought brought that racism out of people in America back up again in lots of different places. Um, I'm also pretty sure Shaq is from the South, so maybe that also makes right. sense. Right, and, and the deregionalization of basketball, right? The fact that people are now going all over the country to play and stuff like that. Yes. Like, I'm sure the racism existed, but, like, the the emergence of black people into, like, sport, into schools, which were, pro uh, like, prominently white, especially in high schools, like, definitely creates this environment for people to all of a sudden, like, put their racist hat back on or whatever. Uh, psychologist uh, Gregory C. Ellison talks about like African American young men who are substantially at risk of being muted and made invisible, like ways that they sort of, you know, affirm themselves in society or like create this idea of a hopeful self is through stuff like streetball, right? Like basketball is one of the most expressive sports you can play. It's like constantly being innovated on. There's always something new happening for like good or bad, and like you know, these innovations don't emerge from, like, you know, coaches watching tape or watching film of games. It emerges out of, like, stuff like basketball and streetball leagues, right? Like, even Madden. Um, Madden informs how football is played now. Like, people are using trick plays they did in Madden on actual football pitches and stuff like that. And it's, like, it is very similar. It's just, like, doing something for fun and practicing and learning something new and then just being, like, I'm going to do this in the NBA and get paid for it, right? Mm -hmm. And this celebration is not simply a reflection of a racist, capitalist, and patriarchal culture. It is also an ironic, reversal, and radical critique of the dominant culture's representation of the fuck, black body as monkey-like. The act of intensely pounding and pointing to his bare chest also signifies the internal presence of what some Boston's black streetballers refer to as heart. That is innermost, deep, and vital ground of all life. Um, which is like it's a very like ephemeral quote, but I think it gets to what I'm saying, which is like finding like any moment of joy in like a city like Boston, for example. Even if it even if it means that you have to act in a like Neanderthalic way, which is I think the quote is trying to describe that there's sort of this like purity to the act of dunking. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like that leads us really nicely into this idea of like dunking and capitalism, which I think is this is like sort of key to understand i think when you're talking about the political economy of sports is that like it's a cultural force that purely exists to serve capitalism rather than human achievement and it doesn't have to be that way um and we're both sports fans right like we're not saying this as people who don't watch sports and are just making a podcast like dedicated to dunking on sports right it's about like the contradictions within sports themselves i think is like really important to to point out and talk about and, like, you know, basketball um, was supposed to be created according to this, like, at least according to Naismith, this idea of, like, technical, moral, and social order, right? Like, it was supposed to be a virtuous game, played in cages with fights on the outside of the baseline. <laughs> but, like, it was, it, was, it was considered, like, a virtuous game. It was considered, you know, a gentleman's game. And it was supposed to have these, like, grounded rules right um that were like this book posits that the the rules of basketball were supposed to attenuate the extremes of capitalism right they were supposed to affirm uh 
sort of stop the breakdown of order under capitalism by like having this like moral rigidity um which is you know maybe it's a stretch i don't know but it goes on to describe that you know people talking about the dunk as aberrations tainted you see if you can hear the dog whistle as i'm saying this some lament elements of the game introduced after Naismith, such as the dunk, as aberrations tainted with the stain of moral degradation and linked, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> linked sorry, inherently to particular socially marginalized racial or oh. ethnic groups, such as yeah. African Americans. That one's a bit obvious. It's funny how the contradictions that, the, that you uh, said moments ago reflect the real world, um, while the dunk does, in a way... Um, like they, they're describing it in the most racist way possible, but it does in a way become the unrealistic sort of fun part of the of playing the sport, which I think what we're going to be arguing uh, throughout the, the season is how sports should be fun um, while uh, uh, taking the time to represent the reality of the world. But which is not the, fun. The, it's ama- it's amazing how the d- the dunk reflects all the insecurities of these of the critics that we're we're quoting throughout this. Yeah, absolutely. Um and it's like and how much this is manufactured too, right? Like people love watching dunks, people love watching basketball, but it's like larger capitalist media forces that said like the dunk was morally degenerate. It wasn't the the fans, right? Like I'm sure fans were racist, but even now, racist fans still love, like, fucking Kobe and LeBron, right? Because it's their team winning. It's it's specifically everyone else. It's, like, the people with real power, um, like, who run the game and run the world, who are trying to create this, like, sort of racial hostility around basketball, and especially dunking, right? So here's another another piece that, you know, is good to, like, quickly talk talk about. Hip-hop and the NBA have very similar lifelines, reflecting their dual modern roots in black community in urban America, the blood fight between commerce and artistic expression. In the late 1970s, the NBA was on its deathbed. Basketball was played inside half-empty arenas. The finals were shown on tape delay, and people associated the game with drugs, violence, and decrepitude. Uh, The league was called too black to cross over into the mainstream. Consequently, hip-hop and by extension actually street ball and sort of the the more the type of basketball we watch today was being developed in the south bronx at a time when unemployment was 80 percent in a borough that had lost 600,000 industrial jobs over the previous generation the south bronx defined despair even garnering a visit from mother Teresa, and like when you a that's fucking wild that mother Teresa <laughs> went from calcutta india yeah. to south bronx and also who would give a shit if she showed up in the south bronx i'm sorry <laughs> Yeah, nobody's leaving Rucker Park to go see her. <laughs> no, Mother Mother Teresa balled out in Rucker Park. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They're yeah, fucking yeah. orphans. Um, they d- they dunk on her if they had the chance. <laughs> that would be awesome. But like, it's like think about this too. Is like all this stuff became mainstream as soon as someone with like an MBA realized it could be commodified, right? Yeah, like, basic and basically until they got like a hard nosed Jew with gigantic testicles like David Stern to to go along and also find the place for the NBA during the Reagan, the basically the Reagan years. Yeah. And David Stern, like also like while capitalizing on like the black expression of basketball, 
also like instituted like um dress code policies and other like weird draconian shit that's still in the league to this day right yeah he fucked over muhammad abdul rauf who we'll talk about in a future episode as soon as i find a good biography of him and like you know a good example of this is like D Brown who won the 91 dunk contest uh, wearing a blindfold. But like, you know, the, the big thing about that was that it was one of the first times you could use basketball to sell shoes, right? Like he, he had that moment where he pumped up his, his Reebok Insta pumps and then recreated that in the ad. And like, everyone saw that and was like, yo, I, I, if I buy these shoes, I can dunk like D Brown, right? They couldn't, but, it still sold a lot of shoes and it's like oh now you're now you're commercializing and like commodifying the dunk right like it's you're officially making it legitimate because you realized it could sell you a ton of money because someone at reebok was like people like dunks the slam dunk contest is popular we can make so much fucking money off of this right we'll get to michael jordan in a second <laughs> and like you know speaking of david stern right like he he was the guy who banned black people from coming into school out of coming into the league out of um out of high school right which on its face sounds like a good idea like oh you should you should you know have some sort of other qualification but like that doesn't count because people drop out you only need to be a year out of high school doing something else before you can go to the nba um but he he mentions that like players who come again read the dog whistle in this Players who come straight out of high school are unprepared and they need the guidance and discipline of college life to ready them for the NBA and the world. Discipline. Yeah. Yes. Guidance. Yes. You know, the, the University of Colorado doesn't have like a sex worker slush fund program to attract <laughs> students to come to it or like, um, you know, people get paid hundreds of dollars under the table for like just hanging out with the coach's kids or like the dean's <laughs> kids to play like video games with them, both of which are true, by the way. So like and it it's like the the it, the article here describes as like racist paternalism by implying that young men young black men need a father figure which yeah is very they they funny. need they need a rich a rich white millionaire uh daddy to come in and save them basically yeah like 100%. many of the movies made back then and that takes us into uh speaking of a man with a famously normal father normal life and uh you know zero gambling debts um. <laughs> Not going to do the, the Michael Jordan conspiracy here, but, uh, you know, if you watch The Last Dance, you should uh, look into that a little deeper. Um, Michael Jordan. Michael, Republicans by Sneakers 2, Jordan, an athlete who is now coasting on the BLM movement after 20 years of, of deliberately trying to be the, the least political black person in America who is popular. Um, now, like, Michael Jordan like was known for dunking that was sort of the the big thing his logo the air jordan logo is him mid dunk in like the sprawling it's a beautiful logo it's one of the most iconic sports logos ever right but he he said after 88 like he did not want to be known as a dunker anymore right he he won the 88 dunk contest and then just didn't do it anymore and said that he wanted to be known as a shooter and again like Read the sort of dog whistle in that too, right? <laughs> like, it, he he was basically saying, "I want to be a smarter, more white player, like exactly. the rest of my like like my peers." Yeah, and that that by the way comes from uh, a book called "The Undisputed Guide to Pro Basketball History," which I will highly recommend. is very good, and like, you know, you sort of compare that with like his first ever Air Jordan ads and shit like that, where he was like uh dunking and like you know 
staring down the camera and like a voice was being like who said man was not meant to fly right so he's like capitalizing on this idea of like black identity while being like man i don't i don't want to be known as that right like i just wanted to make me money and now i'm just gonna keep going into the three-point contest (laughs) drink the three-point contest to prove i'm not a dunker anymore right yeah and it's shit like that where he was like People say it signaled a shift in his game, but it it does, like, represent Michael Jordan, I think, mostly realizing, like, how much money he could make by running away from, and, like, the things that, like, made him famous, right? Oh, I'll just coast on these to make money, but, like, from a personal level, these aren't the things that I want to be known for. These are the things I want Jordan brand to be known for. Yeah, I don't know if you have any strong thoughts on Michael Jordan. I have a bunch. It is funny how how much uh, Michael Michael Jordan has completely skirted black liberation, used black liberation as a as a visual motif and basically everything he did, even like going to, into Space Jam as like a storyline, but was always from a very capitalist like black billionaire Jay Z kind of uh, uh, perspective. When you think about it, it wasn't really as much about getting out of the ghetto as much as it was about being the first black billionaire or the first black player went from basketball to baseball and was a movie star and everything, which is, uh, I think, also representative of uh, his dismissal of his father's death, which you mentioned at the beginning of the Michael Jordan uh, segment. With Jordan, too, like Jordan very specifically has this like weird push-pull relationship with like the, the Republicans by sneakers to comment is like, what would a Republican see if they turned on TV and saw Michael Jordan doing you know 10 dunks a night like all you see is as a tall like you know the black dude you're most scared of and you're like in your third eye or like you know your your heart like just wrecking like the poor white point guard <laughs> who tried to defend I mean, him right like i know what you mean but i guess this is at a time where bipartisanship was just like a little bit more chill in a way um and there were more like full-on racist people like who were republicans who were going to like not use their racism as an excuse to not gamble on basketball right right so so there were there were more there were more there was more bipartisanship at casinos and at the at at your bookies like hangout spot back then (laughs) is what i'm saying yeah and i think that's what and i think that's what jordan was speaking to as a as a chronic gambler himself yeah and of course and bipartisan racism right exactly exactly I'm genuinely surprised that, like, basketball has never led to congressional hear- hearing the way, like, um, <laughs> Two Live Crew did or something in the 90s, right. where it's, like, you know, the violent content of the dunk and Tipper Gore is, like, interrogating, um, I don't know, Carl Malone um, or something. Or, like, or some specific dunk would just, on a very specific white person, would lead to just the dismissal of a player, like, I don't know, like, chuck d saying stuff about about the jews back in the 80s (laughs) it's funny because one of the books uh i read for this welcome to the terror dome has a a very involved intro from chuck d i think i knew that (laughs) he's i don't know why (laughs) he's uh yeah i i mean his thoughts on jewish people aside he's he's very uh erudite on the ideas of race and racism uh, but significantly less so on, on the idea of anti-Semitism. Which we'll actually maybe get into a little bit on the next episode. Oh, yeah, 100%. So, I mean, going from Michael Jordan, there's, I think, one last thing to consider. Again, a, a footnote, because we're misogynists, um, which is the capital relationships between dunking and women's basketball. <laughs> which, like, you know, dunking in women's sports was, like, a, legitimate, a legitimization of the game. But at the same time, it's 
you know, dunking specifically um, has been used as an argument for like male superiority over women where they're, they're talking about like bodily difference being categorical difference, right? Men are taller than women. Therefore men are better at the game of basketball. Um, despite the fact that like, you know, some of the best shooters in the world could never dunk, right? Like our, we were both Raptors fans. Like the Raptors have two undersized point guards who, I don't think Kyle Lowry has ever dunked. Fred Van Vliet definitely has not. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Lowry did a Chris Paul in an All Star game like eight years ago or something, where it was like one of his of his only dunks. Um, but it is funny how it it like people are doing for knowledge, like use the dunk as phrenology on freaking on on women's players when you think about it. Oh, absolutely, and like. The dunk is the best example of this, but they do it with literally everything in the sport. And it's like even even when women have started dunking, it's still like because it's you know, women are technically, you know, shorter than men on average, it's still used as like a a way to like delegitimize the game. Uh like a lot of arguments in, in for the WNBA to like quote unquote improve or be successful is to just lower the height of the hoop, which is like extremely dumb. <laughs> And like the the women's basketball is already I think two inches smaller in diameter and stuff like that. Uh, but like yeah, it basically the dunk is the key point in women's basketball where like the gender boundary is constructed, where you know in many people's eyes that makes the game just naturally more exciting and and better than the women's game. Right? Is is this like invisible line that's been created? Right, which is actually funny as we mentioned it, you mentioned it earlier as context to maybe our non basketball watching uh listeners that uh the the sport has naturally become a shooter sport. Dunking has become a punctuation and shooting has like not only become like at first a statistic like based analytical approach to to be better at basketball, but is now like Steph Curry is one of the most famous players in the world internationally like shooting three-pointers especially as an undersized guard is like a cool swaggy thing to do nowadays yeah and like you you see the way steph curry celebrate i hate his fucking celebrations by the way but like <laughs> yeah. you know whenever he knocks off that's a celebrate that's a celebration problem that <laughs> fucking mouth guard and hang out of his fucking mouth yeah as he like yeah as he like points to the crowd and like fuck fuck him um yeah. I, he's a, it may be the most talented point guard in basketball history. Chris Paul doing the Harlem Shake back at him in the uh, the uh, Western Conference Finals two years ago was probably one of the best things that Chris oh, Paul that fucking did, rule. other than dunk. But yeah, like one of the things with that, I think it's it's important to consider. It's very hard to watch a WNBA game. It is extremely hard to find. It's extremely like the schedules are staggered weirdly. Like the league. They were playing one of the finals games during the finals games this year at the exact same time. Oh, yeah, they were. That was the last game. That was where the Storm won. Yeah, the clinching one. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where, like, you know, with the WNBA, the league can't dis- the league can't cancel the WNBA. Like, it can't shut down the league because there would be a public outcry. But it's absolutely doing no favors to, like, try and make that league succeed, despite the fact that, like, you know, the WNBA is one of the most exciting games to watch because it is, like, such a shooter's game, right? And, like, there are women who can dunk and who get into the post and, like, do, like, hook shots and shit that, like, you would not consider, like, how how they do it. I think, like, way down the line, like, we can do an episode on, like, how the WNBA is basically built to fail but can't fail. Um, So it's just this, like, weird thing that hemorrhages money uh, and could be as pop like not as popular as the nba but still like very popular but yeah like you know that's 
that's sort of like a rundown, I think. The dunk is ultimately, like, it might be the most political act in sports, like the single most political action in sports that you could do. It is so unique to basketball. And it's also, like, such a good marker of, like, where history and capitalism is at whatever era dunking was being evolved on or talked about. I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts on the dunk? Well, I think that the dunk contest, which we 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 uh, didn't fully get into, does um, uh, e- extend what we've talked about quite a bit. It's almost like this weird modern Greek theater that we have for one of the oldest things that we have in in, in basketball or in sports. That's weirdly, as we said been moved away from as the sport has become a shooter sport but it's this weird constant that we've had where where since the dunk contest began in the 70s we've celebrated the 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 um the showboaty aspect of dunking um while also continuing its political aspect like it, it especially in the internet age the dunk contest has become politicized in this weird way where we have these crazy feuds and people <laughs> who've been disrespected throughout the dunk contests re aaron gordon um it's it's such an interesting constant that i i think i complete i can't think of a single similarity in any other sport uh especially with the way it's lot like i guess you could say the home run and then equating the home run derby to the dunk contest. But there is just something um, way sexier about the dunk than it, there is uh, to the home run, which also it doesn't have the, 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 the racial history to it that I think gives uh, the dunk that politicization that a home run doesn't. I think those and are the my, home run yeah. is just, it's just a home run, right? Yeah. Like there's no way you can iterate on a home run. You hit the ball as fast as you can, as hard as you can, right? Whereas, like, with basketball, like, the coolest thing about the slam dunk contest is, like, the way that, like, the, again, like you mentioned, like, Greek theater, but also, like, the circus part of it, where it's, like, mm-hmm. the the slam dunk contest is sponsored by Kia, so I'm going to jump over two Kias and dunk the ball, right? Or, like, you know, we grew up on the Raptors, like, the Vince Carter dunk that, like, saved the dunk contest because, like, it was gang stale, and they were, like, the dunk has been done the only way it can ever be done. And he's just like through the leg, like jumps into the air, passes it through his legs and slams it through. Right. And you're just like, that is, I have seen something new for the first time in a long time. It it speaks to the power of the dunk that Vince Carter was on such an underachieving Raptors team that really did nothing, but was able to elevate it and sort of put Toronto on the map just with a performance at an exhibition contest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he that moment, like the 2000 dunk contest was a moment where where people were like, oh, the Raptors are a team. They're not just the guy who had a dying Hakeem Olajuwon on it for one season. Right. They were they're like a team that actually like this guy's exciting and he did it in a fucking Raptors jersey. Right. And like, again, like people love the dunk contest. It was it's like since its inception in the ABA, it's been a huge like, you know, thing to watch like even like my partner who you know could not give less of a fuck about basketball like you know we we watched the dunk contest together you know what i mean like it's super exciting but yeah like and it's one of those things where you really do have to look at like all these people who are saying like the nba is dying or the nba is too black or like dunking is ruining the game like they're the people who have the most power in the league like they're not the fans they're not the players well they're the players who are getting dunked on but like 
it's the it's the same kind of play person aka white aka fucking ethan strauss from the athletic who are talking about ratings in the nba due to like the controversies that happened in the past year it's the same vapid argument oh 100 percent. and yeah like you know again i i hope i especially hope you're listening to this if you're not a sports fan because like dunking and just sports in general is like a great place for story like you don't even have to watch the games but like reading about sports and like i think that's why the olympics are so exciting but yeah no that's the dunk um you know this has been the inaugural episode of the off-court podcast you can uh you can find me on twitter at socialist raptor uh you can find me on twitter at aton spelt e-y-t-a-n but with six a's so e-y-t-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-n um and yeah that was actually a great way to start it off i mean we are basketball obviously good we're gonna keep showing it bigger basketball and raptors fans more than anything but um i think this is a great jumping off point for how we're gonna tackle other sports and and things that uh you know i mean i'm a big gamer so we're gonna get into esports as well um there there's a lot of stuff that we might not watch actively that we have some connection to that we're i think we're really excited to get into yeah, absolutely. And like the first season might seem a little basketball heavy, um but like, you know, you start with what you know, right? <laughs> and uh there will be there will be some more exciting stuff uh and non-basketball stuff down the line, but yeah, I'm very excited to to record again. Thank you so much for listening. Um and uh I mean, if you're listening to this after uh it's been released outside of Harbinger, give them your money give harbinger three bucks a month and you can listen to the episodes as they come out rather than uh you know after the whole season's done so yeah with that take it easy hope you all have a great week peace if you like this episode if you like our engaging astute brilliant beautiful political analysis and you want to find out more or hear more from people who are almost but not as quite as good as we are uh you can you can check out harbinger's entire cross-country lineup of podcasts just kidding they're very smart and very beautiful and very hot we love them um you can check out harbinger's cross-country lineup of podcasts get access to exclusive shows and content at harbingermedianetwork.com and you can check out all the podcasts all the content all the awesome work being done at the mind refinery online and uh and all their other stuff at themindrefinery.com 